You are listening to the sermon stream of the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite podcatching app or find and listen to any sermon online at mulvanechurch.com sermons. In Galatians 4, the Apostle Paul is nearing, as we go to verse 21 and begin, he is nearing the wrap-up of the uh, main point he's gone to in the whole book, which is that the gospel he preaches of faith in Jesus Christ is the gospel uh, message which has its origin and has its approval in God, that he did not receive it from men, but he took to them that which God gave. And it's now uh, in the gospel uh, that things are uh, are brought to, and God's will is worked, and that uh, it was all uh, headed for that from the time the law was given, if not even, we might also say, from quite a bit before. And so the Apostle Paul, uh, here in Galatians 4.21, then we'll just read the whole text down to the end of the fourth chapter, and then go back and look at it. The Apostle Paul says to them, Tell me, you who want to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? So we're going to have a kind of combative last bit here as Paul wraps up the argument. For it's written that Abraham had two sons, one by the bondwoman and one by the free woman. But the son of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and the son of the free woman through the promise. This is, allegorically speaking, for these two women are two covenants, one proceeding from Mount Sinai, bearing children who are slaves. She's Hagar. Now, this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free. She's our mother. For it's written, Rejoice, barren woman who does not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For more numerous are the children of the desolate than the one who has a husband. And you, brethren, like Isaac, are children of promise. But, as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so it is now. But, what does the Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be an heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of a bondwoman, but of the free woman. Now, I have to say, if this weren't inspired, and certainly Paul is inspired, and this is the God-approved message, if this were not an inspired comment, an allegory upon these situations, I don't think I would have come up with it. I don't think I would have known to go that far. But to say that those who come from uh, the law, those who uh, are of the uh, way that uh, uh, is in Moses, are slaves and are corresponding to Hagar and Ishmael? Uh, For most of the Jewish audience, I think they'd take these nearly... As fighting words, as I say, this is near the closing argument. Uh, Paul is going to 
go even further in his closing statement at the beginning of chapter 5 and tell these folks that uh, if they go back to the law, they're severed from Christ and they're fallen from grace. And so this is not the strongest language. It's the strongest yet, but there's yet more to come. So this is the application of what Paul had said back in chapter 2, verse 16, that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ, that Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and those who are of the faith are sons of Abraham. So that's chapter 3, verse 7. And so those of faith are children of Abraham. The Jews are always going to object and go, hold on, we're sons of Abraham. And we've got the genealogy to prove it. And up at this time in history, they still did. I don't know that uh, uh, Jews today can make that claim at all. They don't have the genealogies to prove it, although there are a couple of families of Jews who have very good circumstantial evidence to say that, yeah, they really are. But they don't have the absolute proof. But I think they could come close to uh, proving it by preponderance of the evidence. And the, the Jews go, no, no, we're the children of Abraham. And the Christians say, no, we're the children of Abraham. Of course, the Johnny come lately of this. What do the Muslims also say? Uh, we're children of Abraham too, because we're related to Ishmael, right? And actually, uh, they make up a whole different alternative story about it. And the Muslims claim that Ishmael was offered uh, by Abraham instead of Isaac. So we're not going to take that terribly seriously in this study. And certainly the Apostle Paul does it. And that was another 550 or 60 years in the future before anybody came up with that nonsense. But everybody likes to claim Abraham. And so Paul's going to say, yeah, okay, I'll let you have Abraham. You want Abraham as your father? I'm going to give you Abraham as your father. But not through the son you think. You get the other son, you workers of the law. And so verse uh, 10 of chapter 3 had said, for as many are as of the works of the law are under a curse. Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law. Well, who is the cursed son of Abraham? It ain't Isaac, is it? They're, they're children of Abraham. Okay, I'll give you that, Paul says. But you are cursed sons of Abraham. Again, we ask, who is the cursed son of Abraham? It's not Isaac. It's Ishmael. So they are the slaves. Chapter three, twenty-three. Before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was the guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under the guardian. In chapter 4, verse 1, I say that the, the, uh, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he's the owner of everything. But he is under the guardian and the manager. We also saw a good uh, uh, way to look at that was disciplinarian, that, uh, uh, that pedagogue. They're under the guardian, they're under the manager until the date set by the father. So then while we were children, we were held in bondage. All right, you want to be a child of Abraham? You say, okay. Let me ask you, Abraham had a child who was free and Abraham had a child in, who was enslaved. Guess which one you are if you're under the law, which is under the curse, and if you're under the guardian and held as a slave. You are, yes, you're one of those children of Abraham, 
but you're of the slave child. You are not of the free child. So Abraham, is, or excuse me, Paul is going to draw an allegory and say, let me show you about these. So he starts off with a brief history, and then he will uh, go into an allegory about it. And we are going to see, as we continue this study uh, from Galatians 4, of Abraham's differing sons. Yeah, you're a child of Abraham. I got that, Paul says. Let's see which descent of a son of Abraham you are. Now, again, we realize from uh, Jesus' conversations with the Jews how much they uh, placed in being a child of Abraham. Uh, you know, what, what do we find? That God could, from these stones, raise up children of Abraham. Hey, we don't need to repent. We don't need to follow the gospel, right? Uh, we're children of Abraham. No, <laughs> that doesn't work that way. God can make from stones children of Abraham. And by the time the gospel's finished, who has God made children of Abraham? Gentiles of people all over the world, right? Uh, maybe more uh, miraculous and more stunning than God doing a miracle and taking from a literal rock uh, and making a child of Abraham. God took th these living exiles uh, uh, from God, these living exclusions from God of pagan tribes, of every tribe and uh, nation and tongue, and he made children of Abraham out of some all of them by faith in Jesus Christ. And so this, uh, key, this keying in, uh, this grasping, uh, this refuge of the Jews to say, oh, no, 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 we're children of Abraham. All right, Paul says, let's look at some of Abraham's boys. Uh, we didn't just have the one, we had two. Now, I'm going to put up here uh, quite a list, and hopefully you can read it. We're not going to, rather than trying to scroll through and add to this, uh, we're just going to put it all up at once, and we'll read it all through at once, and then we'll go through the text and see how it applies. But we're going to have two categories. Uh, we're going to have those that follow Moses and the law. We're going to have those that follow Christ of the gospel. So they had rejected Christ and said, no, we, we like this uh, uh, law thing better. We like this uh, this things we got from Moses from Sinai. We like it better than what Christ brought us in the gospel. So Paul's going to bring up uh, two sons of Abraham. One is a son of a slave woman. Some translations will say bond woman. Uh, a lot of the newer translations will just cut right to it and say it's slaves. And so uh, there was a slave named Hagar. She's named in the text. And then, of course, there was his wife, Sarah, uh, who was free as he was. So a free wife and a slave wife. And one is born by the slave woman. And the other <coughs> son born some years later, is born by the free woman. Now, the slave woman, when she has a, a child, uh, the status of, a, of the child goes with the mother, not the father. And we see over and over in both Scripture, and also uh, we've seen it uh, in our American history studies, uh, so we had the same, uh, same thing, that if, if, a, if a person fathered a child by their slave, then they might be very kindly disposed to that child. They might free that child. Uh, they might give that child gifts. They might give that child uh, any number of special privileges, or they might not. It was up to them. And so the status of the child went with the status of the mother. And so that's why it's so important that we have, 
you know, legitimate children and legitimate families. And all through the story of scriptures, uh, with both polygamy and, and concubinage, and then, uh, you know, just read history outside the scriptures, where you had those same similar institutions, because they didn't make them up for scriptures, they're just revealing what was there. We see these, uh, we see these relationships among people, and the status of the child goes with the status of the mother. So he's not named. It's interesting. Hagar's named. A lot of things are named. Uh, the uh, actions of him are named. But uh, Ishmael is not named by name. Uh, he's not. Uh, I, I don't know if it's kind of like, uh, you know, Voldemort from the Harry Potter series, you know, the, the one whose name shall not be named. I don't know if it's something like that, or uh, maybe that would have been too inflammatory, or uh, maybe they just they just knew it. Uh, they certainly knew it just like we do. But uh, for some reason, Ishmael's name is not given, uh, but his mother uh, and his actions are described, so we know who this is. So we have Ishmael. He's born to Abraham, but he's not the child of promise. He's not the one intended. He's not the one who gets uh, much of any blessings at all. Now, generally, it seems that Abraham treated him kindly, and uh, he did better than, than most of the uh, you know, children born to slaves. In, uh, in ancient households, but he is by no means the heir of Abraham. So the, the, the children by Hagar, they're slaves. The children by Sarah are free. One is child by, by flesh. Uh, the apostle will say that the child came by flesh. So just the natural process of things, the natural workings of the flesh, the way any child is brought. But Abraham came in a very, excuse me, Isaac came to Abraham. Isaac came in a very special way. Uh, he came supernaturally. He came by a promise. And so uh, the promised child is the free child, the one to whom all the blessings will go and go through. And the, the fleshly child, the child of the slave, uh, just uh, got whatever you know, pension his dad decided to hand him off. It mentions that one is Sinai. And it mentions Sinai of Arabia. So th this, again, we don't name Ishmael, but we come close. Sinai of Arabia. And, of course, uh, where did Ishmael and his descendants end up? In Arabia, right? And the Arabs, uh, they, they, uh, they count their origin and their genealogy through Ishmael. Uh, that's one reason why uh, when Muhammad, uh, trying to do something for the Arabs, and he saw, you know, the Jews had a special thing going and the Christians had a special thing going. Muhammad said, well, I need to get something for the Arabs going. And uh, he wrote his book and Ishmael becomes the star instead of a poor bit player in it. But uh, uh, Ishmael <coughs> is of the Arabs. Well, Mount Sinai is in Arabia. So that point is drawn home. It, it's implied, but not directly stated, that uh, Mount Zion is where we're from. Of course, we have that directly in the book of Hebrews. We've come to the new uh, heavenly Jerusalem, the, the kingdom that can't be shaken. We've come uh, not to an earthly temple, but we've come uh, to Mount Zion. So Zion's implied, uh, just like the law is very clearly implied, but not directly stated. So it also says <coughs> that as well as Sinai, the Jews get earthly, pardon me, they get earthly Jerusalem. The Jews get earthly Jerusalem. They get the Jerusalem that's here and now. So they started down in Mount Sinai of Arabia, 
And then, you know, after the people went up to the promised land, they eventually got and established their capital in earthly Jerusalem. And they put an earthly temple, of course, dedicated to God in his name, and was the right place for a time for the worship of God until, you know, the fullness of time came and Jesus was born under the law to redeem us. They get earthly Jerusalem, but we get heavenly Jerusalem. Now, if you're, if you're living at the time that Paul writes and you're thinking fleshly, which one do you want? Well, I want earthly Jerusalem. I want the real Jerusalem, they'd say. I want the Jerusalem with a temple in it, right? I want the one we can go to and worship in. I want the one where we can go see those columns and we can see that gold on the wall and we can see uh, the, the great altar. I want that one, the fleshly folks would say. Of course, Paul wrote the book of Galatians somewhere around the year 50 to 54 AD. What happens within 20, maybe not quite even 20, what happens within 20 years to earthly Jerusalem? The Romans take it out, and it's never been put back. And so for those in, in Paul's day who are saying, oh yeah, we want that earthly Jerusalem. We want the real Jerusalem. We want the temple Jerusalem. Yeah, um, they didn't have that much longer, and now they got nothing. And so it was a great crisis in Judaism uh, after uh, the fall of Jerusalem and for the first couple of centuries afterwards. And basically the rabbis had to rebuild the Jewish religion from the scraps. They had to build a Jewish religion without a temple, without a special priesthood, without sacrifices. They had to build a Judaism that's much like the one we see today was called rabbinic or ethical Judaism. That Judaism is about a system of ethics that one keeps and uh, so many things of the law because you're no longer in the promised land. You're no longer under God's protection. You no longer have uh, a, a, you know, a Jewish polity uh, that, that these things can be implemented in. You have to have a different Judaism. And the Judaism after the New Testament, again, it took a couple hundred years to rebuild it, the Judaism after the New Testament is very different from the Judaism that Paul is dealing with. There's, there's some common features, absolutely. But the, the messianic expectation uh, and the things that uh, were, were key components of Judaism in the first century, uh, they did without them because they weren't going to do anything that lended credence to the idea that Jesus was the Messiah. All right, so we got the earthly Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem. We're going to find out, and this, this is maybe the most obscure thing that Paul's going to say, that we have a fruitful, uh, growing concern with Judaism, but it's not going to last. And we have, uh, we have the faithful, and we have those of Christ compared to a barren woman, which is not normally a comparison we have, but it's a prophecy from Isaiah that the barren woman will soon surpass the married woman in her offspring. And we'll see that in the church versus Judaism. Then we have it explicitly stated from the life of Ishmael, where in the book of Genesis, he persecuted Isaac. He, so if you persecute the, the, the children of promise, like Ishmael persecuted Isaac, well, that shows you're the same spirit and mind as Ishmael. These, these Jews would say, oh, no, that Ishmael, that's not us. That Ishmael has nothing to do with us. We're from Isaac. And Paul said, no, 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 Ishmael persecuted Isaac. You're persecuting the church. And so uh, those of the slaves are persecuting uh, those of the promise. So one is persecuting, one is persecuted. And then we have ultimately and terribly the expulsion, 
we have the expulsion of the children of the slave. And compared to, for the child of promise, the inheritance. So the great hope of the Christian inheritance, which comes by faith in Abraham, as Isaac was that child of promise, and <clears throat> the one through whom everything was done, who inherited the blessings and all the things of Abraham, that was Isaac. And the ex excluded one, the one who was expelled, was Ishmael. And again, uh, we note that in this chart, uh, Ishmael we have there in brackets because it's implied. Ishmael's name is not brought up, but certainly it's talking about him. All right, so that's where we're going to go, and that's the summary of the things. Let's look at the verses and see how Paul directs us there. So, uh, verse uh, 22, For it is written that Abraham had two sons. He Eventually, of course, through Keturah we'll have a number more, but in the part of the story that matters uh, and is germane to us, there's two. There's two sons, the one of the bondwoman. So the first came the one of Hagar. Uh, evidently, there was some wavering in regard to waiting on the promises of God, maybe by Sarah, even more than Abraham at this point. But we recall that Sarah says to Abraham, here's my handmaiden. She's a nice gal. Why don't you have a child by, by her? And so Hagar, the Egyptian servant of Sarah, ends up becoming pregnant by normal operations of the flesh, and Ishmael is born. But what we find is that that is not what God intended, and that is not how this is going to go. And so, uh, verse 23, But the son of the bondwoman, or the slave, was born by the flesh, and the son of the free woman through the promise. So again, Ishmael born by, by natural means. Uh, it's a, procreation is a wonderful thing, uh, especially when used correctly and uh, within loving families. But uh, uh, by that uh, marvel of procreation, uh, of which, uh, you know, all participate, uh, at least uh, in, in the inception of it, uh, and then uh, most wish to participate in the continuation of it, by that natural means, Ishmael is born. And that story is in Genesis chapter 16. Uh, that mindset of Ishmael, of uh, one who is not spiritual, uh, one who is not like his father, that's going to be repeated by the Jews. And Jesus will say of them, you are of your father, the devil, in John 8. But the son of the free woman was to the promise. And so in every promise that there'll, <clears throat> in every promise that there'll be descendants, there's, there's the inherent promise that one will come. And eventually, in uh, Genesis chapter uh, 17, uh, it after Ishmael has been born, uh, then the Lord will come and say to, to Abraham, you're going to have a son by her, by Sarah. And Abraham laughs about it, and Sarah laughs about it. Then she denies having laughed about it. But still, this time next year, you are going to have a son. So by a promise, a supernatural promise, by the promise of God is uh, the child born. And in that, I think we can certainly see the comparison to us. How are we born? How especially, again, how are we born to, uh, in the gospel, born again, John 3? Uh, how are we uh, born again to a living hope, uh, new and living hope, Hebrews 10, and maybe Colossians also with the, the, the new hope? Uh, how are we born? Well, it is by uh, the promise of God, right? It's by the promise of God. And so we have these two very different sons, one by the promise of God, 
and one by fleshly means. So we have two sons, but for the story of the redemption of God's people, there's only one that's important, right? The other's a bit player and not a good one. And so it's like uh, Paul said in Romans 9, uh, he said, for not all uh, Israel are descended from Israel. Neither are they all children because they're Abraham's descendants. But through Isaac, this is Romans 9, 7, through Isaac, let your descendants be, be named. That is, it is not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of the promise who are regarded as descendants. And this is the word of the promise. At that time, I will come and Sarah will have a son. So it's not just here in Galatians that that point is made. It's also made in Romans 9. So Paul says, let's apply this a little further. We have the absolute fact of some children are children, some children are not children. But let's have this, verse 24. This is allegorically speaking. For the two women are two covenants. All right, so we have two different covenants. Now, that's not the entirety of covenants in the, <coughs> in the Bible. Certainly there was a covenant with Noah. Uh, so there's more, than, there's more than just two, an old and a new. But that's our basic framework most of the time, isn't it? The old covenant and the new covenant. The covenant of Moses, the covenant of Christ. Those are our two covenants of which uh, we normally cover everything that's important and germane. Sometimes the one with Noah comes up. Sometimes maybe another one comes up. But uh, in the main, and, and rightly, I think we can talk about it and boil it down to two. And we generally call that the old and the new. All right, so these women are two covenants. One proceeding from Mount Sinai. Ah, Mount Sinai, Moses, right, all the good stuff. No, that's not what Paul says. One proceeding from Mount Sinai, bearing children to be slaves. <laughs> that's Hagar. Hold on. I thought, and if I were making this without Paul's uh, instruction and revelation here, I might think that coming through Sinai would have been good stuff, right? I might have thought that'd be coming a blessing. I might have thought that'd be, hey, yeah, when we trace our line and lineage through, let's, let's make sure we get through the Ten Commandments and let's make sure we get the law in there. Let's make sure we get that, that in our line. And Paul says, nope, we're coming from a different line in a different direction. We're coming from this line that goes, promise of God to Abraham, Isaac, the child of promise, we have been given a promise and that's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And that law interlude, that covenant... That did not affect the promise. And so don't get sidetracked into this, this road uh, that was temporary. This law given for the unbeliever. This law given to restrain sin. This law given to show uh, the need of grace. Uh, don't think that, <laughs> that was grace. Instead, we want the promise. We don't want the law. We don't want the curse of fulfilling the law. We want the promise that comes by faith of our sins not being counted against us and us being counted righteous in Jesus Christ. So, and this is where the Jew is really going to object. Okay, yeah, he knows that Paul, that uh, like Paul did, he knows Abraham had multiple sons. He knows there's an Ishmael out there. He knows about Arabs, right? And so the Jews like, yeah, we're not those Arabs. Oh Lord, I think that we thank thee that we are not like those Arabs, right? That we are not those Bedouins of the desert and them on their camels. Oh no, Lord, we're of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we're over here with the sheep and the temple. We're not out there in the sand with the camels, right? I thank thee, O Lord, that I'm not like the Arabs. But 
Paul says, no, you got the same mindset. You're the same mind and you're of the same condition as those who come through Hagar. Again, this is the shocking departure from what the, you know, the Jews might not like where this was headed, but I got to say, when we get to verse 24, it, this is, this is a sting. Uh, this, this is a serious sting in the tail right here. It's a whip of the scorpion. These women are two covenants. The one that comes from Sinai, the children of that covenant are slaves, right? What, what, what did we read earlier? What did the law make us? The law brought us a curse, uh, Paul said. The law brought us into slavery, right? That was in uh, chapter 3, verse 10. As many are as under the works of the law are under a curse. Cursed is everyone who doesn't abide by all the things written in the law to perform them. But Christ redeems us from the curse of the law. Chapter 3, verse 10 and 13. Okay, so law keeping. Sinai following. You're cursed. You're a child of Hagar. You're right over there with Ishmael. Shudder. This Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. So from Hagar, Sinai of Arabia. Yeah, you're with the Arabs. You're with the Arabs. You're, you're no more close to Abraham than Ishmael and his uh, people were. It also corresponds to the present Jerusalem. Oh, no, no. Okay, so we're not down in Arabia anymore. We're up in Jerusalem. We got the temple of God up there, they would say. No, no, no. That's all one system. From Mount Sinai and the law to Jerusalem in the present day, as Paul writes, and Jerusalem is still then standing and functioning. This is slavery. It's slavery? It's slavery. Again, back in chapter 3, the scripture has shut up all men under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ is given to those who believe. Romans 3, all have sinned. What, what, how are we better than they? Uh, well, we had the law to guide us, but we didn't have the law to save us. That's uh, Romans chapter 2 and Romans chapter 3. Or Peter, uh, to the church in Acts 15, about those who wanted to bind circumcision in the law. Now, therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing on the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. Slavery, an unbearable yoke. Cursed is everyone who doesn't do everything written in the law. And who did everything written in the law? One did one time. He's our Redeemer. He's our Savior. So this earthly Jerusalem attached to Sinai is attached to slavery, is attached to the curse, is like Ishmael by Hagar, not like Isaac through Sarah, but there's one of those hopeful buts, right? We were dead in our sins and trespasses, but God, you know, Ephesians 2, uh, 1 and 4. This is one of those hopeful but statements, but, oh, okay. Thankfully, we don't have to be like that. But the Jerusalem above is free and she's our mother. So our mom is heavenly Jerusalem. Our mom is not physical Jerusalem with that temple, with those sacrifices, with that system. Our mother is heavenly Jerusalem, the Jerusalem from above, right? Holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. 
partakers of a heavenly calling. Paul told the Philippians, our citizenship is in heaven, and thus we are free. Romans 8, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Hebrews 7, the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, there's a bringing in of a better hope. Hey, here's the better hope, the heavenly Jerusalem. And then Hebrews 9 and 10 talk about the better covenant and the better sacrifice of Christ. And where is the blood given on that altar that is in heaven? And so our altar, our home, our Savior, our Lord, our hope is in heaven, the heavenly Jerusalem. Uh, what is it? <laughs> the great hope in Revelation 19? That descending from above is the heavenly Jerusalem, right? As come down to earth uh, to be uh, with men. Here is our mother. So we're of that hope. We're of that mother. We're of that family. And then this quote from Isaiah 54. Isaiah 54, one, originally about that remnant that was coming back from captivity, uh, seemingly a small and insignificant nothing. But what did it grow into? So the prophecy of Isaiah Rejoice, barren woman who doesn't bear. And so if you're barren, if you got no hope in this world, no, rejoice. Break forth and shout. You who are not in labor, that's okay. Usually the barren weep and those with child, child, uh, children rejoice. He says, for more are the children of the desolate than the one who had a husband. All right, I think what we've got here, we've got a little bit of a comparison historically, uh, again, following in this uh Ishmael and uh, uh, Ahab, excuse me, Ishmael and, and Isaac theme. And uh, we've got this uh, comparison right now to the church to what Judaism right now. All right, so when uh, Ishmael was born, he had about 10 or 12 year head start on, on Isaac. And then Ishmael takes a couple of wives. And how fast do the people that eventually become the Arabs to Ishmael? How fast does that group grow? Well, that group, that group is going good, right? Uh, Ishmael, uh, he's a virile man, and, and he got a lot done in that regard. And eventually, Abraham has Isaac. Now, Isaac, how fruitful does Isaac get to be? Well, he eventually, and it takes him a while, he eventually has sons, two of them, twins. Right? All right, the people of God are growing. We got two. We had Isaac, now we got two. What do we do with one of those two? Jacob, have I loved Esau, have I hated? Esau's rejected. It's all on Jacob. And by the time that Jacob has to flee his brother and his parents' house and go up to live with Laban, how many descendants, and I don't know the number, but how many descendants, you figure, has Ishmael got by now? Oh, man, dozens, I'm sure, right? Children and children and children and grandchildren and their grandchildren. Probably, well, maybe uh, maybe only to grandchildren or great-grandchildren, but they're moving right along. But when the children of, of Israel eventually, at the toward the end of the life of Jacob, of, of Israel, when they go down to Egypt, what do they got? 75, right? They got 75. All right, you're looking at the Ishmael line, and you're looking at the Isaac line, and we're not we can't count the Esau line of Isaac. We only got the, you know uh, uh, Jacob. By the time that Jacob takes seventy five down to Israel, down to Egypt, 
How many do you think Ishmael's got? But how's it? How's that turn out in the end? How's that turn out in the end? What do they come out of the Exodus? Uh, some uh, <coughs> centuries later, with two and a half million souls, and so who comes out ahead? The one that didn't appear to be bearing anything. The one that didn't appear to be growing. Now, at the time that Paul writes, and I think this is a statement and prophecy of hope. Just like that remnant of Israel came back from captivity and grew into the great nation of the Jews were at the time of Paul. Now, a little bud, a little offshoot, a little remnant of the Jewish nation is starting over in a spiritual family in the church. And as Paul goes from town to town and place to place, how many Christians does he find? Usually not so many. But how many Jews does he find? Man, we got Jews everywhere. We got synagogues in every town. We got Jews on Jews on Jews. But now you run that clock forward for a couple of centuries. And what do you have in Judaism versus what do you have in the church? By the time that the Edict of Constantine is announced around the year 323, making Christianity a legal religion, it's estimated that 25% of everybody in the Roman Empire was a Christian. How did that happen? Well, in the same way that this happened with those who came back that Isaiah foresaw coming back from captivity. Shout forth and break forth in joy, you who are not in labor, for more are the children of the desolate than the one who has a husband. And so God's people grows from righteous remnants uh, to massive numbers repeatedly. It's one of the recurring themes of Scripture. And so Paul said this is happening. So we, brethren, verse 28, we are Isaac. We are the child of promise. We're the children of promise. So that promise that in you, Abraham, all nations of the earth be blessed. It's in your seed in chapter 3. Your seed, singular, through Christ. In and through Christ, all nations be blessed. We, chapter 3, 26, are children of, of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And we're children of Abraham. This promise is fulfilled. But as the promised child grows, the more fleshly child objects. So verse 29. But as at that time, so history is repeating itself, happening again. As at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit until now. In Genesis 21.9, it says, Sarah observed the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, mocking Isaac. So in the book of Genesis, it's a mocking in the New Testament by inspiration. It is uh, a persecution. He persecuted. And so if he'd uh, continued that as, as the, uh, the child grew by his jealousy, by knowing what uh, uh, Isaac would receive and he would not, uh, was he going to do harm? Was he going to try and, you know, get rid of the, the child? Who knows? But he was persecuting. And so Paul says, it's now also. So the fleshly child of Abraham was persecuting the spiritual child of Abraham. And in the New Testament, what is, uh, what is recorded repeatedly? Persecutions of the Jews uh, to, against the church. So children of Abraham, in one sense, persecuting children of Abraham 
in another sense, but those of the flesh are persecuting those of the spirit. Now, just pause for a second from our scriptural exegesis and we'll do a little historical note. Once Christians greatly outnumbered Jews and became dominant culturally, politically, economically, etc. in various places, have there been by those who named the name of Christ, consider themselves to be Christians, have there been occasions where Christians persecuted Jews? There have been. And you look at, uh, you know, medieval history in Europe, which is where we mostly study medieval history, uh, particularly in, uh, in Europe. And so it's both by Catholic and by Orthodox uh, Christians. And uh, now how uh, true devoted disciples of Christ, we want to call these, you know, these Christians, but certainly under the name of Christ and, and sometimes directed uh, by those, you know, who had bishops and patriarchs and, and other religious leaders in their council of advisors, they have persecuted Jews. And what does it say about them that they would then persecute Jews? Well, they have become just like the Jews that Paul is dealing with. They, there is a physical connection to the religion of God by physical descent, right? Uh, the, the, these are people who, yeah, we're Christian. I was, I'm a Christian. Mama was a Christian. Daddy was a Christian. Grandma and grandpa were Christians. My family's always been Christians. And at times, this cultural or familial or other connection to Christ, other than a personal abiding and effective faith in that person, causes them to act in ways that are thoroughly unchristian. Just as these who named Abraham as their father as Jews acted in a thoroughly un-Jewish or contrary to the law of Moses method, so there are those who claim to be Christians and they would give their spiritual pedigree as part of their family pedigree and talk about what church they go to or how long their family's been a founding member of whatever congregation. And they're just as separated as these Jews are. And so sometimes they persecute just like uh, these who, again, yeah, children of Abraham, yeah, Christians in a sense, but not Christians in the right spirit, not Christians in the sense of a faithful connection, but a family connection. It isn't that so often the people we have the most problems with the church, right? They got a family connection to the church, but they don't have a spiritual connection through Christ. That's some of the people that give us the most trouble. All right, so what happens? Verse 30, cast out. What does the scripture say? And it quotes Genesis 21.10. Cast out, verse 30, cast out the bondwoman and her son. And so the, the true people of God can't have this slave mentality, can't have this persecuting mentality, can't have this physical mentality maintained and continued and perpetuated in the church. So cast out the bondwoman and her son. For the son of the bondwoman, the slave, will not be an heir with the son of the free woman. So the only heirs are the ones connected by faith. Connections by family, connections by uh, you know, you know, time served, uh, connections by, by culture, uh, connections by other things. That does not get you the inheritance. So brethren... We are not children of the slave, but we're children of the free. 
So let's be free, right? The law put us in slavery. Now, when we come in the next chapter to the Apostle Paul making the application in the ethical section, and he talks about being set free, this is the freedom he's talking about. Uh, sometimes when people divorce the freedom uh, that's being talked about here from the freedom in chapter 5, they, they can get some pretty loose uh, and unlawful uh, and unrestricted views of freedom, which are not in in the line of the argument. But that freedom that we get to in chapter 5, that's such a theme, it's set right here. It's the freedom in Christ, not the slavery and being bound up in the law. So this is the great comparison. As people of faith, as connected directly to faithful Abraham, through the child of promise Isaac and through the things that came by the ultimate one promised Christ. We are free and we are inheritors and we will enjoy the great blessings. But we also may be persecuted uh, by those who are being surpassed and left behind who are of the flesh because of their jealousy and their rebellion. Uh, there are no new stories among God's people. The story that was being played out in Galatia was a story, a repeat of Ishmael and Isaac, and the stories have repeated ever since. So the direct connection, the right connection, the faithful connection, the inheritance connection is by faith. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ. Additional sermons and information available at mulvanechurch.com. Come see what a difference the Bible way makes.